0: Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, there's quite a few stories in the news related to supply chains this week. Remember that CO2 debacle back in the summer, I think it was sort of August, September, and it was in the United Kingdom when the fertilizer company, CF, refused to make fertilizer. And it was used by the food industry, both for food processing and for drinks manufacture. And they stopped producing it because energy was too expensive, it was the time when gas prices were hiking up. There was about a 400% increase at that particular time from the start of the year. And so they stopped. And after a few weeks, the pressure on government in the United Kingdom came to bear from food manufacturers and the food industry generally. And the government put a financial package in place to encourage CF to make the CO2. Now that CO2 was a byproduct of fertilizer manufacture. So their main business is manufacturing fertilisers. But the two plants, one in Ince, near Warrington in the United Kingdom, and one in County Durham, stopped producing fertiliser because of the cost of energy. Energy has fallen slightly at wholesale prices since that all-time high, but it's still very expensive. And they've said that they're going to stop production again. And the financial package put in place by government is no longer there. So I think there's going to be some Difficult situations in the next few weeks and difficult negotiations. And it may be that some staple food lines just can't get produced because of the lack of CO2. So it's happening all over again. Now, do you remember those sections of newspapers where they used to have a box that said, Stop Press? It was the place in newspapers or in periodicals where they had some late news information. And they literally stopped the press to insert an update or an amendment. Well, have you ever seen it before on a podcast? Well, I've got one here. This is a Stop Press announcement. Now, the Inns plant is still closed, but the Billingham plant in County Durham is the one which has agreed a deal to produce the CO2 for the food industry. And there's no more funding from government, but apparently just as we were going to press with this uh, podcast, we find out today that uh, the food industry customers who buy the CO2 have put a package together to keep the plant at Billingham producing CO2 for them. 88% of the worldwide production of ammonia is consumed in the production of fertilizer. And it's the cost of ammonia that is also a very expensive input to the process and according to some sources it's the cost of the ammonia that's uh, closed down the fertilizer production temporarily. About 50% of the supply of ammonia gas comes from sources in Asia. China supplies 32.6%, India about 8% and Russia the same. Another observation this week. I visited my local supermarket and found that they were changing the layout in store. And I wondered why they'd cut the bakery section slightly and one or two other areas on the back of the store. And so I asked somebody in store, and they said, "Ah, yes. We've taken out some of the floor space in store so that we can move the wall forward of the warehouse at the back of the store." so that we can hold more inventory. Ah, I said. Is this a problem with supply chains? Oh, I'm not sure. I think it is, probably. It's probably to do with the shortage of HGV drivers, and the reduced number of deliveries that we're receiving. So we're being asked to hold more inventory at the store. ah So this has been replicated in a store by you, just think about all the store space. Let me know if it is. I'd be very interested. One of the other things I noted earlier in the year on the Chain Reaction podcast was the increase in demand for warehouse space generally. And that's obviously a result of delays in moving goods and perhaps holding more buffer stock to be more resilient. And apparently the numbers show this because the extra demand has driven up the cost of warehousing space. And it's also meant that the demand for warehousing space is higher than it was in 2020 or 2021. So that's likely to continue this year, I think. I think the demand for that space is going to go up and it's going to push costs up. So a bit of inflationary pressure on warehousing space. So if you want to stay ahead, keep an eye on things where you are. Just while we're on the topic of inflation, I was reading some numbers this week and I think the annual CPI increase, which I mentioned previously, is about 5.4% year on year in the United Kingdom. It's over 6% in the United States, but I was interested to look at the United Kingdom figure for retail price index, which has a much longer history for comparison purposes and the retail price index is running at 7.5% year-on-year. And I think that's a better measure, really, of the rate of inflation when you look at that basket of goods over time than just the CPI, because the CPI has all kinds of adjustments and manipulations, which, uh, well, if one was cynical, one might say they were put there to lower the amounts paid out by the public purse. Because they switch to CPI measures to pay all sorts of things, such as pensions and other sorts of payments that government make to people in terms of benefits and so on. So uh, yeah, inflation's still running high, and I think I'd noticed this earlier in the year as prices were ramping up in stores, at retail stores, and also prices were ramping up for goods that had been fairly stable in price over the past couple of years. And I was thinking of things like construction materials and that kind of thing and tooling. And of course, then there's the shortage items such as microchips and everything else that we know where there's a pressure point And those pressure points have come about because factories have had to close due to Covid. So part of it's Covid. In the United Kingdom, much of it is Brexit related because of the additional bureaucracy and additional cost. And there's a part of the United Kingdom, of course, Northern Ireland, which is having great difficulty getting hold of some goods and some foodstuffs. And price pressures are higher than they have ever been. So, yeah... Keep watching those inflationary pressures because they're building up right now and during the next year I I can envisage inflation going up quite a bit. I read a piece in the newspaper in the last week that said uh, economists had failed to see this inflationary pressure and I'm thinking well is that because they're not quite grounded? Do they not go to retail stores? Do they not Buy goods themselves, or are they just working in isolation of what's going on around? And obviously, with delays and the disruptions in supply chains, anybody working in a supply chain could have predicted those inflationary pressures are definitely going to happen. And the shipping costs rising, the box situation, the delays for turnarounds at ports, all those things have bumped up costs. And then, of course, there's the transportation costs, the price of fuel and the price of energy, both for businesses and for domestic consumers. Well, it's not looking good. The Northern Ireland Protocol remains problematic with customs checks increasing from January 22 and in the mid-year point, they'll increase again and little attention is being paid to do something about this and it's a real issue for moving goods from the UK to Northern Ireland. Direct shipments to the island of Ireland have increased from European ports which has impacted the trade conducted between Holyhead and Ireland for example. It's a consequence of Brexit that has no voice presently or at least is not being treated with the urgency required. Some supplies from the UK have been in short supply as it's now more difficult and costly to engage in that trade. The crossing is just 50 miles from Hollyhead to Dublin, but it's in effect cut off by red tape. Fishguard to Wexford is about 45 miles and Stranraer to Belfast is just 20 miles, but many miles by road from Dover and Felixstowe, the biggest ports accepting goods into the UK. Rotterdam to Dublin is 628 nautical miles. The economics of these trade routes have been severely disrupted. Many of the journeys now come directly from EU ports to Ireland to cross the land border to the north. This has added significantly to operational cost. Frankly, it's the economics of the madhouse. Since the United Kingdom left the European Union, the trade between Holyhead and Ireland has fallen by about somewhere between 30 and 40 percent so you can see what an impact it's had and that means a knock-on economic impact for that part of north wales where Holyhead has lots of businesses that rely on the income that the port brings in and obviously the surrounding hinterland too is a beneficiary of trade through the port so it'll be interesting to see what the numbers look like for 2021 and 2022, when we'll get some real understanding of the cost. I'm sure that the impact of the reduced trade passing through Welsh ports into Ireland will not escape the attention of the Welsh Government. The Economist newspaper this week had an article called More Pain, No Gain. Why supply chain problems aren't going away. And there was a little piece in a figure from uh, this article which said somewhere between 6 and 8% is the figure for shortages on input items and somewhere around 4% is the shortage of output which is constrained by material shortages. And I thought that was quite interesting. And this is a worldwide figure which came from IHS Market, M-A-R-K-I-T. And this is borne out by my own experiences. I mean, in the past week, I've been on calls to people in the United States and Europe, and all of them, across different industries, have been reporting shortages and difficulties about getting goods on time, and of course, in full supply. And I think this is worse than it's probably ever been in recent living memory. So uh, there are some serious problems about getting goods. I remember my uh, economics lecturer telling me when I was at university that um, the way the world worked, people would invest if they thought there was a market for that investment. And then they'd produce goods, and the supply of those goods would go up, and the prices would fall. And if there weren't sufficient goods available in the marketplace prices had be driven up by demand and as demand increased and it became obvious that there were shortages then more investment would go into that particular production area and that would produce more goods and so the cycle repeated and i was just thinking it's very much like that isn't it in the microchip market because what's happening there at the moment Yeah, there's a shortage of microchips, and we all know about it. Shortages in cars, wind turbines, uh, toys, all kinds of things. Computers, all sorts of devices, electronic devices, everything that needs these microprocessors. And so, the people that make these processors have decided to put more investment in. So in January, the Taiwanese semiconductor manufacturing company, TSMC, which is the world's biggest contract manufacturer, said it would be putting in $44 billion of new capacity in 2022. And that's up $30 billion from last year, according to the figures. And the American rival Intel plans to put in $28 billion this year into new production facilities, building two new factories in Ohio by 2025 at a total cost of $20 billion. Samsung is TSMC's closest technological rival, and they're based in South Korea, of course. And they've hinted that they might put capital expenditure in 2022 also, which will surpass last year's 33 billion US dollars. And so there's lots of investment going into this microchip area. So the market may be short of those chips right now, but fairly soon there's likely to be a correction. Not immediately, but A year or two, the situation will ease and the prices should fall. Russia exports close to 20% of the world's natural gas and a similar number, 18% or so for wheat, about 12% of crude oil approaching 10% of aluminium, about 8% copper. Now, if you think about those exports, which are in demand throughout the world, then any retaliatory pressure on Russia over Ukraine could see those supplies withheld. So it's a very difficult situation for Western governments who want to support Ukraine in their situation, and do so through sanctions. But of course, on balance, it's likely that Russia would suffer greatly from the lack of goods and hard currencies it would receive from world markets. Prices in those commodity markets, of course, would be likely to rise significantly. So this is not really good news for anybody. And this tension on the borders of Ukraine... And what will happen is going to be not very good for anyone. It's a no-win situation for all parties, including Russia, I think. But commodity markets are certainly going to move up in price. I think what's come out of this whole affair in the past months, with gas prices rising significantly across Europe, is the reliance of Western economies, particularly in Europe, on Russian gas and Russian energy. About 33% of the energy consumed in Europe is gas from Russia. And this dependency on those energy sources has to be something that governments take a keener interest in to ensure that there is security when it comes to energy. Without energy, there's no production, and without production, there's no economy. So when you put it in those stark, simple terms... This is probably one of the biggest crisis points since the 1960s. As far as supply chains go, anything such as tension on a border or full-scale war is a form of disruption. And so this, on top of COVID and the disruptions we've had in the past 24 months, is yet another example of something that can cause serious problems in supply chains. I saw some interesting statistics this week on uh, the time that container boxes spend in depots. The time that container boxes stand around idle at ports is referred to as dwell time. And if you looked at uh, an earlier episode of Chain Reaction, Where's My Box?, you may have already known that. The average dwell time for containers in the United Kingdom is 51 days, 25 days in Germany, 20 days in Belgium. The waiting time for ships to berth at Felixstowe during January is about 10 days, the highest in Europe. And there is some cause for concern that this disruption may worsen as China suffers with Omicron. But so far the Chinese have been very resilient and they've been able to suppress the impact of Covid much better than perhaps some European ports and some US ports. So dwell times are highest in the United States and the United Kingdom. So let's take a look at some of those numbers. The United Kingdom leads the way on this with uh, 51 days on average, closely followed by the United States, which is around 50 days. And China, of course, guess what? Five days. So there's... Quite a an inefficiency, of course. They'll blame it all on COVID. Belgium is the best European performer with 20 days. In Japan is also 20 days. India's 22 days. Germany 25, and then it starts to increase. United Arab Emirates and South Africa 40 and 47 days respectively. On average, shipment delays were under a day back in 2019 for most ports around the world. But during the pandemic in 2021, the shipment delays in the west coast of America were around two and a half days, and they were the highest, closely followed by east coast of America at 1.8 days, the rest of the world about 1.3 days, and Europe about 1.7 days. And the UK was probably the worst performer in the EU. Well, of course, it's not in the EU anymore. These, of course, are average figures, and we know what averages are. They have extreme points, and we take a mean position, which is somewhere in the middle of the normal distribution curve. So, of course, they can be higher or lower. And back in the summer in the United Kingdom, those delays hit about uh, an average of about eight days, I think, at Felixstone. There were about five or six-day delays in the United States on the West Coast in the summer, also late summer. It's not just the delays that are problematic, of course. It's the time that the boxes lie around unused, which means there's a knock-on effect in moving goods from ports because those boxes are not where they should be. And that's had a a damaging effect during 2021, probably the worst year in memory. So let's hope that that picks up in 2022. (laughs) Container Exchange is a Hamburg-based cargo broker and they've surveyed 800 maritime cargo companies. Just under two-thirds of those companies believe that global supply chains will remain disrupted throughout 2022 and they could even deteriorate further. They talk about tipping points and if Omicron manages to take off in China, even in a small way, There will certainly be further disruption, and this will have a whiplash effect throughout supply chains. There could be large-scale shutdowns of factories, transportation disruptions, ports would be under pressure, and we might see even more ships queuing up ports for entry. So, I feel like Mr. Doom and Gloom, but don't shoot me, I'm only the messenger. Well, I was scanning newspapers on this weekend and, hey presto, turned to the business pages, as I often do. Large advert in the Times on January 29th. And I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Unlimited Logistics. How far would you go to gain a business advantage? How about two hours from London? Strategically positioned in the heart of Europe's golden triangle, Wallonia, Belgium is a world leader in logistics. In fact, Liege was voted Best Cargo Airport 2020 and is the European hub for companies such as FedEx, TNT, Alibaba, H&M and GSK, as well as for global organisations such as the World Health Organisation and the World Food Programme. Take advantage of the concentrated network of railways and motorways, a direct rail freight link to China, low-cost bonded warehouses, Europe's best digital customs platform and full interconnection with the ports of Antwerp, Zeebrugge and Rotterdam. Wow. And then it says at the bottom, Wallonia, the southern region of Belgium, there's a QR code, there's a telephone number. And the sort of website link says uh, invest in Wallonia.be stroke Brexit. Hmm. Trying to steal the customers from the United Kingdom. How's about that one for cheeky? Now, in the next few weeks, we've got some great episodes that will be coming your way. We've got one episode looking at research in the healthcare supply chain and a great guest on that uh, program, Professor Wendy Phillips from Bristol Business School. And then we've got a special edition also heading your way on supply chain careers with some insights from industry and opportunities to acquire those skills needed to build that career so stay tuned and uh, tell your friends tell students who want careers in supply chains that they need to listen to those programs and for anybody out there doing research or trying to get ahead in supply chains the chain reaction podcast is the place for you to hang out Well, that's about it for another episode of the Chain Reaction Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed listening to it, and I look forward to welcoming you back to the podcast next week. In the meantime, take care out there. Supply chains are dangerous and disrupted and unpredictable. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now. to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines.